This is Brad. Good morning. Brad and his wife Jenny have volunteered for King's Kids today. We appreciate them laying down their lives. Uh, but also, I want you to be aware that the next time we have a membership meeting, we'll be voting Brad and Jenny into membership. They have uh, agreed to our... Go ahead. Yay! And he's learning to follow instructions, so... I did it at the wrong time last week. He will make you redo it. <laughs> it's called grace. You don't just, you know, stay wrong. Now we do it right. So turn your Bibles with us to Philippians chapter 3. Kids, we're going to release you in a minute, just a second, as we read the Bible together. Philippians chapter 3, what are you reading? Where are you starting? New International Version 15 through 4.1. So chapter 3, verse 15, go. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand, firm in the Lord, Dear friends. Amen. All right, King's Kids, if you are in second grade on down, this is your teacher today, so follow this guy to King's Kids and be nice to him. We don't want to scare him away. You don't have to call him daddy. We can, we can just call him teacher today or. All right, everybody else, yeah, his new name is daddy. So, King's Kids. <laughs> <coughs> if you are, if you are, yeah, get out of here. You're free. <coughs> Lydia, did you just finish second grade or something? Wow, you're stuck with us now? Well, look, she opens her Bible. She's like, I'm ready for this. Bring it on. Okay, good job. Take notes. That's one way to keep from getting bored. Doodle. If there's a Bible verse you don't understand, if I'm reading it and you just like you don't know what I'm saying, just open your Bible and reread what we're going through today and ask your dad questions later. Put him on the spot. There you go. <coughs> Citizenship in heaven is our focus today. And Paul uses that as a contrast. Many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. There are two kinds of people in this world, enemies of the cross or citizens of heaven. That kind of simplifies it. We're all humans, no matter where you are raised, the color of your skin, the language you speak. God divides us up, those who are for him and those who are against him. And in many ways, that should be very, very comforting that God sees our hearts and our faith, irregardless of where we live or what we even do. He's looking for what we think. 
And the goal of our lives is to be found right with God. And let me tell you why. Because you will find happiness and purpose and ultimate peace in God. That's why. That's what he made you for. He made you so that you would only be completely happy with him. Which means you have to trust him. You have to believe he is who he says he is. You have to believe who Jesus says he is. You have to believe that God actually forgives you based upon you trusting him to forgive you. Not by what you do to grasp and grab and make yourself right. Because you can never get it right. Faith is the only way you can earn citizenship into heaven. Faith, that's what he's looking for. Not your works. Not a long list of application questions to fill out. Not just the right passport photo. Man, I took a passport photo. took my first passport photo, not for a passport. And, uh, you know, my kid said, that is the angriest <laughs> face you've ever given for a picture. Like, I'm sorry. I try to look tough. But thank goodness my citizenship doesn't depend upon a photo. With God, it depends upon faith. So we're just honing in. We skimmed over this verse in Paul's bigger idea last week. And I want to look at this verse on its own and kind of give you some background and show you why it is such a fascinating phrase and why it can even be used as a good summary of what it means to be a Christian. Here's Paul's battle cry or life work or motivation. First thing we see in Paul is he always makes much of Christ. Paul always makes much of Christ. Write that down. He does this by calling people repeatedly, calling people to turn from themselves, that's repentance, and follow the teachings of Jesus, that's obedience, based upon faith that Jesus is who Paul says he is. Make much of Christ. Now, there's a secondary effect to that. When Paul is always making much of Christ, it also means he's making less of other things. But he doesn't always go out of his way to destroy false religions. He doesn't always have to go out of his way to show the, where the logic is wrong in other faiths. All he really spends the bulk of his time doing is making much of Jesus Christ. That's how you learn to figure out what's counterfeit. You handle the real bills regularly enough. You handle the real thing regularly enough that when something of different substance comes through your hands, you realize, whoa, hey, this is different. You don't have to spend all your time analyzing and figuring out what is wrong if you just get the main thing right. Get the main thing right. That's Paul's life making much of jesus because he knows if we settle that it's going to pretty much trickle down and affect everything else in your life and as he's preaching and as he's teaching he comes along and he warns us now and again we saw that last week he's 
He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about knowing Jesus. He's talking about having the right attitude in Jesus. He's talking about pressing on in your faith for the goal, the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then he has a warning. Be careful. There are people who are enemies. And so the next thing to write down, another thing Paul spends time doing, not a whole lot, but he does point it out. He says, do not fall for counterfeit spirituality. He warns about the circumcision. He warns about legalism. He warns about Epicureanism. He warns about Gnosticism. He warns, he, he mentions these things in his letters and attacks these things in his letters, but he always does it by making much of Jesus. So it's, it's a secondary effect, but it's still there. Watch out for counterfeit spirituality. Because God's kingdom will eventually come back. God will finally fix all the tragedies that began in Genesis chapter 3. And God's kingdom will establish a garden of Eden atmosphere. And the people of God will live in the full presence of God on earth together in perfect happiness, full satisfaction as we glorify God perfectly forever. That's in so many words what heaven really is it's everything back to the way god intended it to be in the meantime how do we live paul wants us to live as citizens of heaven that means we need to have a view of the future kingdom that affects us now let me say that again we need to live in such a way that we remember we are citizens of heaven so much so it's such a reality that it changes the way we live right now. It changes us now. It changes our hearts. changes our minds. In verse 15, it changes our attitudes. That's what he's talking about. Have the attitude of somebody who says, this world is not my home. I'm a citizen of heaven. And this is not unique to the Apostle Paul. 1 Peter 2 11. Peter, in the midst of his argument, in the midst of him encouraging believers who are suffering, he reminds them, I, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So in the middle of telling them that their suffering is for the kingdom of Jesus, that they are citizens of that kingdom, how do we live right now as sojourners and exiles? Realizing this world is not our home. And it should affect the way we live, because then Peter says, abstain from the passions of the flesh. In other words, this is not your home, your sojourners, your exiles. Don't do whatever you want. You're an ambassador representing Jesus. Live like it. Act like it. It should affect change in our lives. And that attitude is not even unique to Peter. Where do you think the apostles got this attitude from? Jesus. In John 18, verse 36, during his sham of a trial, he is asked if he truly is the king of the Jews. Are you the Messiah? 
Jesus doesn't speak much, but he acknowledges the truth, and he says, my kingdom is not of this world. <laughs> if it were, my servants would rise up and fight and prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now, my kingdom is from another place. It is of a different kind. So if Jesus' kingdom is invisible, not of this world, of a different kind from another place, and we are citizens of that kingdom, we should be of a different kind. We should be of a different attitude, of a different motivation. And as he was unfazed in the hour of his death, so we should be unfazed in however many hours of life we have. His attitude becomes our attitude. That is sanctification. God is in the process of turning you into somebody who trusts him, loves him, follows him, no matter what is going on in your life, no matter how you are suffering, because God is good. Famous Christian author C.S. Lewis, when his wife was diagnosed with cancer, he acknowledged, somebody asked him, like, how are you going to make it through this? Do you still think God is good? His answer was, I have no doubt in the goodness of God. I just don't know how painful that goodness is going to be. But I thought good things always felt good. God is good. Sometimes the pain is what you need to get your attention. Why does God allow pain and suffering? So you have something to contrast his goodness with. Simple as that. As much sorrow and suffering and pain you go through, however deep you go, the higher Christ should be lifted up in your mind. The more enjoyment you will find in God. The bigger the contrast, the bigger the loss, the bigger your gain. The more you hurt, the more pleasure you'll find in the presence of Jesus. Why does God allow bad things to happen to me? Painful things. Why have I been through this life? Why am I suffering? Why am I hurting? So you will find everything you need in Jesus Christ. The attitude that can find him in this life is citizenship in heaven. That's what Paul's phrase is, is capturing. Because here's the truth. Even if we are citizens of heaven, we currently right now live in this already not yet tension of our current sanctification. Does that sound familiar? Paul talks about justification. Paul talks about sanctification. Paul talks about glorification. Big words. It means I was saved and I will be ultimately saved, but right now I am being saved. I'm already a citizen of heaven, but I'm not there yet. Already have everything I need in Christ, but I haven't quite seen him face to face. Not everything's perfect yet. Write this down. The Bible is not about being ready to die, but learning to live. And we don't begin living 
when we die. That is the message of Jesus. You can have eternal life now. Because He is that life. He is that life. You can learn about Jesus now. You can have a relationship with Jesus now. You can talk to Jesus now. You can follow Jesus now. His mind can slowly become your mind now. His grace can flow over your life now. You have His forgiveness. You have His Spirit. You have access to Almighty God now. It is a hotline to your home. I always think of the bat phone whenever I think of hotlines, you know? Like, 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 when it, like they've got one phone in the whole city to call this guy. Come help us. Like he's sitting at home all the time waiting for that thing to ring, right? Like, yeah, I'm sorry, Gen Z. That was before cell phones. Everything was landline. You had to be tied to your phone. Yeah. You know somebody had a teenager in their house and the cord on their phone was 50 feet long. That was the only way you could talk in private was to take that phone out the back door or into your room or into the bathroom. Like, yeah, there was no privacy. Enjoy it. But the Bible is not about just getting ready to die. It's about learning to live for Jesus now. I would add that, to live now. Not, not just preparing to live, but living right now, today, this moment. And that's what the Philippians need. Paul has started this church, he's discipled these people, and he has left. He's, he's corresponded with them, they've sent letters to him, they've sent money to him, he's sending the letters back, he's sending people back. He wants them to, to, to change, he wants them to grow. It's not good enough for them to just be ready to die. In his letters, all of his letters to all of the churches, he's instructing them how to live this life. That is the great question. What do I do? What is God's, we usually say it this way, what is God's will for my life? What you're asking is, how do I live in this? What decisions do I make? We want God to make all of our decisions. That's not what it means to be human. To be human is to ask God for wisdom to make the right decisions and to suffer the consequences when we make the wrong decisions. That's how we grow. That's how we grow in grace. That's how we grow in wisdom. We need that. He's giving us opportunities to grow up. Do you realize maturity in the Christian life is not about knowledge? It's not about knowing more. It's not about memorizing more. Maturity or growing in the Christian life is about trusting God more and more and more. It's a heart issue. It's a soul issue, not a study issue, not I need a new Bible issue, not I need another, I need another, I need another. Most of the time, we just need a kick in the butt to remind us to do what we already know we need to do. I'm really good at that. I'm sorry. Sometimes I'm a little harsh at that. But that's not Christianity. I'm not trying to make you a better people. I need to repent of that. what it's about 
being better. What joke. It's about trusting more. Even if you don't get better. I'm here to tell you, even if your life doesn't get better, God is still good. From this day forward, if the rest of your life is terrible and you suffer greatly, it doesn't change the fact that God is good. To have a heart for that is what I want. For me, first. For you, second. Sorry. <laughs> I've got to work on me first. And so do you. Be a little easier on your kids this week. We're not out for performance-based obedience. We shouldn't be out for performance-based obedience. We want to raise kids who trust us, don't we? And when I say, please don't do that, don't do that. That's what we want. We want the heart. When you've got the heart, you've got everything. When God's got your heart, <laughs> he's got everything. I don't need to quibble about all the little things you do in your life. You have freedom in Christ to all live a little bit differently. Why? Because we are all citizens of heaven. We have one king. And he's going to ask us all to live different lives. And that's okay. So show some grace to one another. I'm going to machine gun through a bunch of verses that I found that help me understand why citizenship in heaven is such an important frame of mind and how it is brought up over and over again through many different scriptures. So grab your pen, follow along. We're not going to spend long on these. I'm going to <coughs> read what goes in the blank. And then I'm going to read the verse that goes along with it. So don't even try to flip along with me in the Bible. If you want to look these up later, that's why I put the verses in the bulletin. You can look these up. But for now, just listen. When Christ died for his church, that's Ephesians 5.25. Christ died for his church. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, laid down his life for her. So there's a truth there. Christ died for his church. Next thing, she died with him. The church, in female tense, because she's the bride of Christ, she died with Christ in his death to the elemental things of this world. Colossians 2.20 says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to the things of the world? So there's a contrast there. If you're dead to the world, don't live like the rest of the world. And when the church died in Christ, we died to the law, Galatians 2.19. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. God's kids have died to the law so that they might live to God. We also died to the world. Galatians 6.14 But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I have been crucified to the world. We've died to the law. We've died to the world. And we've died to sin. Romans 6.2 By no means how can we who died to sin, still choose to live in it. Do you not know 
that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Baptism is an outward symbol of an inward truth. We show everybody, this is my new life. I have died to my old life. It's a powerful symbol. We've died to the law. We've died to the world. We've died to sin. But not just so that we could be dead men walking around. Justification kills sin. We're dead to sin. But then, what's the other part of justification? I'm dead to sin, but God declares me righteous. So now I have something to live for. What do I have? I have a new birth, John 3, 3. Oh, I skipped Romans 6, 4. Newness of life. Go to that one. We rose from the dead to walk in the newness of life. We were buried, therefore, with Jesus by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, we too might walk in newness of life. We have a new life to live, a new identity, and it comes with a lot of new things. John 3.3 3 is a new birth. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We are a new person, Ephesians 4.24. Put on the new self. Tell me about that new self. Okay, it's created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We are a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We have a new covenant. Hebrews 9.15 Therefore, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. That's present tense, that we might right now receive the promised eternal inheritance. That's another way of saying becoming citizens of heaven. Since death has occurred, Jesus' death has occurred, and that that death redeems us from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. We have a new covenant. Live like it. 2 Peter 3.13 says we are the heirs of a new earth. According to his promise, we are right now waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I like the way he phrases that. We are, right now, it's present tense, we are waiting, waiting for a new heavens and a new earth. Peter doesn't just say that. He also tells us how we should live and what our mindset should be while we wait for that. We are waiting for God's kingdom to come. That's the very prayer of Jesus. Pray this way. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Like we're ask, We want God to come back. Peter tells us how we should live in verse 11. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? That's the contrast. They're enemies of the cross. They're citizens of heaven. Citizens of heaven live with an attitude of holiness and godliness in this life, even though this life is not their home. We're supposed to live like we're already there live like we are representing the kingdom that is coming 
living now as citizens of a future kingdom. See the disconnect? Why is it so easy to sin? Because this world is full of sin and sins all around. You can choose to sin. You can choose to live for yourself. You can choose selfishness all the time because it is at your fingertips. Is that how God wants us to live? Do whatever we want, fulfill the flesh. No, he expects his kids to live as citizens of his house. Do your parents, did your parents ever expect you to act the right way when you were at somebody else's house? So help me God, what would happen if your dad found out you didn't? Or your mama found out you backtalked to your friend's mom. There could be some severe consequences. If you, as a child of your parents, misrepresented your parents to some other adult, you're afraid to go home. You're putting phone books and toilet paper and your stock, you're putting frying pans in the back of your pants. You are bracing for the belt, the switch, or the longest time out you've ever had in your life. You're bracing for restrictions. You're, br- you're calling all your friends. I'm, gonna, I'm not dead, but I'm going to be gone for a while. You're, you know it's about to go down because if you misrepresent your parents and your parents have raised you well and your parents have expected high things from you, and you misrepresent them, you know there are going to be consequences, right? We know that. And that's just an earthly illustration of a spiritual truth. God, our Heavenly Father, He wants us to represent Him well. Now, we do not need to fear eternal judgment, but He will have a day of reckoning when our life is laid out And he's looking to reward us. God is not going to punish his kids. He brings rebuke. He brings chastisement so that we would grow from glory to glory. He wants us to do well. And ultimately, he's not going to punish us for what we've done wrong. Don't get that view of God. He's gentle, patient, merciful, gracious, kind, and lowly. He's looking to reward us. That's what he's looking for. Wow. Heirs of a new earth, a coming kingdom. Colossians 1.13. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness. God has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Yes. Spiritually, God sees it as done. You understand, or at least we should. I'm still getting wrapping my head around this. God does not live in space and time. For him, he knows all things all the time. So he's, he doesn't see past, future, present the way we do. We are very limited in our perspective. God sees us as seated in heaven because he knows that's the end game and it's already settled in his mind. He knows that's where we are going. He's chosen us. He's called us. He's predestined us. He's elected us. He's saved us. He's justified us. Why? Because he is going to glorify us. That's what it's done. He sees it as done. He has already transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And John 5, 24 says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me 
has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Write that down. We have already passed from death to life. Our death sentence is removed. Yes, you will have a physical death. It's not what he's talking about. It's appointed unto all of us to die and then face the judgment. If you don't know Jesus, it's going to be an eternal judgment on your soul. If you do know Jesus, it's a judgment of the way you lived your life for rewards. No fear. Or fear of missing out. The real FOMO. Because you read his parables, God is looking to be lavishly generous with the rewards he hands out. You've only got one mina, ten minas, here ten cities. Were you faithful with five talents? Here is a kingdom. Like The exchange rate that Jesus talks about in the parables is absurd. He paints God as absurdly generous. Parable of the prodigal son. Irreverently generous. Ridiculously forgiving. He doesn't just let him come back as a servant. He comes back as a son, fully restored, even though he's wasted his half of the inheritance. And the older brother throws a fit. That's a whole nother sermon. Because most everybody in here is the older brother. We're the ones being faithful. We're the ones being staying home. We're the ones doing what needs to be right while everybody else runs wild. How are we going to react when prodigals come back? Excited and glad? Or bitter and jealous that we didn't get to experience all the sin that they did? Ouch. No. We need to see our Father is generous. We have already passed from death to life. It's we win. God wins. Come on. I'm I'm a stickler about playing Monopoly out to the bitter end. <laughs> you know what? If I've got half the board owned, I don't want you to be like, oh, I quit. No. I'm gonna crush you appropriately. You have to mortgage everything, hand me the money. I want to feel it. And I know it's counterfeit. I want to feel it. I want to feel all, I want to absorb all of your pain. (laughs) And I want to win on the right terms, correctly, fully, experience that. Right? God has already won. And the reason he's left you on this planet is to represent him well, to be an ambassador, and you're going to appreciate the full win because you're playing it out the long way. You're not flipping the board over out of rage. You're not rage quitting. You're not throwing your money in people's faces. Hold it together, people, a little bit longer. It may look like you're losing, (laughs) but you're not. People are hurting you. People are stealing from you. You're not. You're not. Just sit there in the Christian life, smile and grin. You have got, it's not just a get out of jail free card either. It's go directly to Jesus. That makes Paul shake with anticipation. Oh, how he wants to be with Christ. 
Oh, to live is Christ and to die. That's a win. That's the way he sees citizenship in heaven. It's win. It's win. It's win. Ephesians 2.6, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Like already. That's how he sees us right now. Ephesians 2 says this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he has raised us up, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So he sets us in heavenly places, and then he expects us to live our lives full of love and good works. While you're waiting, while you're playing out the game, you need to be a person full of holiness, godliness, good works, Oh, by the way, you don't even have to make up the good works. God has already prepared them beforehand, and you just have to walk in them. Just keep rolling the dice and moving. Just keep living your life. Whatever, it looks random, it's rigged. God is in charge. It looks like there's no rhyme or reason. It's rigged. God is behind the whole thing. He knows what's going to happen. He brings pain into your life. He brings people into your life. He brings people out of your life. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives, he takes away. Just keep playing the game. And I hate to call life a game, but I think we understand that. It's temporary. We're, gonna, we're going to win. Christians are the only people on earth who truly live free lives. Have you thought about that? We're the only people on earth that live truly free from the inside out we have one king one master so we need to live like it we need to live unto god on earth but also as seated in heaven we need to live profound holy and honorable lives and let me wrap back around to god using paul to warn us our citizenship is in heaven so don't live a counterfeit life that claims to know God but refuses humility and humbleness towards others. As we live this life, we give honor to those we who, we, to whom <coughs> we owe honor we respect those we need to respect. There are a lot of things in your life that you just need to do. Humble yourself and do it. From registering your car, having car insurance, paying your taxes, driving the speed limit. Humble yourself under the people God has put over you. Do what you can do. Be a good citizen. But more than that, be a godly citizen. Because in all that we do, we are not just doing the right thing so life goes smoothly. We are looking for opportunities to talk about our real king. 
We're looking for opportunities to show His mercy and His grace and His love, His forgiveness, His character. And humility and humbleness towards other people, I think, is what I'm missing the most in my life. Being willing, being willing to not always be right. Oh! I want to be right. I want to win everything. I want to succeed. You don't need to win. Every role doesn't have to go your way. Every card doesn't have to put somebody else down. Sometimes we even have the opportunity to do that. And we just sit on it. You don't have to win. You don't have to win. You already have won. You're a citizen of heaven. God is going to see to it that we inherit all things. So humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and let him lift you up. I'm concluding by reading Hebrews 10. I think these verses in Hebrews give us a great closing summary of what it looks like to live out your heavenly citizenship. Hebrews 10 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the kingdom, the day, the king drawing near. Stand with me. Let's pray. God, we come to you with thankful hearts this morning that we are not stuck in this world, that this world will not continue the same way forever, that you have already set in motion the final play. Jesus is Lord of all. We confess him as our king. Fresh this morning. Jesus, be the king of my life. Forgive me. Change me. Humble me where I need to be humbled. Bring pain into my life where I need to appreciate you more. And in all things, God, teach me to trust that you are good. Teach me to trust that you know what is best. Teach me to trust you to work all things together for good according to your great purpose and help us to do right along the way. Teach us to humble ourselves and serve other people even at great loss to our reputation, even at great loss to our pride, great loss to our status in this world help us to value more our status in your kingdom with every head bowed and eye closed what does God ask of you this week how can you make much of him is it something you just kind of have been putting off is there something new that he's brought into your mind or your life this week? 
What can you do in this next week to make much of Jesus? Do you need to catch up in your Bible reading? Do you need to spend more time praying? Do you need to go serve somebody, help somebody else? What can you do and have it come out of your mouth this week that God is good? God, help us. If you've brought things to our hearts and our minds this morning, help us to do it so we would make much of you. And as we make much of you, guard our hearts against being counterfeit, fake, shallow, immature believers. We want to make much of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I cannot comprehend the agonies of Calvary. You, the perfect Holy One, crushed your Son, who drank the bitter cup reserved for me. Your blood has washed away my sin. wrath completely satisfied Jesus thank you once your enemy now seated at your table Jesus thank you perfect sacrifice I've been brought near your enemy you made your friend pouring out the riches of your glorious grace your mercy and your kindness know no end your blood washed away my sin Jesus thank you the Father's wrath completely satisfied Jesus thank you once your enemy now seated at your table Jesus thank you Oh
I didn't even pick that song. He already sees me as seated at the table, already done. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, no powers, no height, no depth, nothing else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God bless you. Amen. <laughs>